Welcome to the Dick Schroeder Podcast. Dick draws his teaching from a deep well of love for the Bible and 50 years of strategic ministry among university students. Enjoy this episode and remember, your Father in Heaven loves you. Lord, I ask for your anointing now upon our hearts as, as we've offered you praise and worship. Lord, would you come by your spirit and give life to your word and give life to every one of us here, Father. I'm totally dependent on you, Lord. Only you can change hearts. But I know that's what you want to do tonight. And so I ask you to do it in the name of Jesus. Amen. On the, last, on the day of Jesus' resurrection, we find in Luke chapter 24 an, an interesting account. Early in the morning when Jesus was resurrected, two of the women went to Jesus' tomb to prepare his body for burial. And when they went to the tomb, they found the stone was rolled away, and they found a gardener there, at least what they thought was a gardener. And the gardener told the women that uh, he had risen, that Jesus was no longer there, and he had risen. In fact, Mary herself saw the Lord, and uh, she was amazed and filled with great joy, and as they came back to where the 12 were, the, yeah, the 12 disciples, they, they were in, in disbelief because they thought, how could this be? How could the Lord have risen? And uh, Peter and John ran to the tomb and they found it just as the women had said. The stone was rolled away and the, the, his, his grave clothes were, were wrapped up and laid inside on the stone bench, but Jesus wasn't there. And so out of their perplexity, Peter and another disciple named Cleopas decided to take a walk and just leave the situation. Sometimes we do that, don't we? We just want to get away from everything. And so they decided, let's walk to a little town called Emmaus, seven miles away. And as they're walking along, they're talking, they're confused. They're trying to understand what all this means. And someone meets them alongside of the road. And it's Jesus, but they don't recognize who it is. And so Jesus, I, I can't believe the humility of Jesus, he says, I, I've heard you talking about something. What are you talking about? And they say, haven't you heard what happened? That Jesus, mighty, a mighty man of word and deed, a mighty prophet, and he confronted the religious authorities and, and the Romans put him to death. And with a straight face, Jesus goes, what things? I mean, it's all about him. And he's able to say, what are you talking about? And so they talk to him. And then it says, as they walk along, Jesus begins to unfold the scripture. And I wish I could get the cassette tapes of these messages, man. These would be dynamite. But it says as they walked along, Jesus began in Genesis and he walked through the whole Old Testament and he revealed how he was the or how Jesus was the Messiah and how he had to suffer before he would be glorified. And so they they walked along and they are just getting more excited with every step. And, and they were going to stop in Emmaus and lodge for the night. And Jesus appeared that he was going to go on. And they said, no, hey, man, stay with us. Now, still, they don't know it's the Lord Jesus Christ. So he uh, goes in with them. They sit down to dinner. And Jesus broke the bread, it said. And as soon as he broke the bread, their eyes were opened. And they realized, it's him. It's really him. And then he vanished from their sight. And it says in verse 32, it says, they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while we talked to him on the road and he opened the scriptures to us? I want to talk to you tonight about our hearts burning within us. There was something that started happening as 
Jesus unfolded the Old Testament to them and they started getting really excited. And it's like, yes, yes, yes. And, and fireworks were going off inside of their heart as they were realizing who Jesus really was. Although they, they didn't know it was him talking to them. There was something happening in their hearts. And I believe that that is something that God wants to have happen in every one of our lives. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 16. If you don't have your Bibles, Just this disc. Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16, and I'm going to begin with verse 13. And when Jesus had come to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, and he said, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Now, this is a, a really a unique place. And if you go to Israel someday, you can see this. This is the, the place where the Jordan River begins. And the Jordan River actually begins at the base of a cliff from an, a, kind of an artesian well, a hidden spring. And so this, this river comes bubbling out of the base of this cliff and forms, you know, and begins, that's the headwaters of the Jordan River. And, and it's a beautiful white limestone cliff. And some years before, because Caesar ruled, Caesar had come and carved these, these statues of himself in this beautiful white cliff. So it, it really was a place of worship unto Caesar. And so in that setting, you know, where, where Caesar is worshipped, Jesus asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they give, they give him a readout. They say, well, they say, uh, some say that you are John the Baptist. And others say that you're Elijah. And still others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And I, I suppose they thought maybe it's John the Baptist because Jesus preached in a fiery way like John the Baptist did. John the Baptist was this, this radical prophet that lived out in the desert, and he started preaching out in the desert, and people came out to hear him, and his message was repent, change, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so perhaps Jesus reminded him because he, he would speak fiery words. And others identified him as Elijah because Elijah was the prophet that did all kinds of miracles. It's really interesting reading in the book of First and Second Kings, all of the miracles that Elijah did. And so some were reminded, thought, well, man, this is maybe Elijah returned. And others thought, well, this is Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, the outspoken weeping prophet, because Jesus was not received by the religious authorities. And I, I, I can think that the disciples were kind of confused by this question because they thought, well, Lord, you know, we've been with you a whole year now, and you're, and you're asking us, uh, who do people say that I am? Uh, I think I know who you are. I, I saw your miracle at Canaan. I saw you turn the water into wine. I've heard your teaching. Um, I, I think I know who you are. And then Jesus, in verse 15, he asks the point-blank question, and he says to the disciples, who do you say that I am? You've given me a report of what other people say. What do you say that I am? And this is a question that every one of us must come to grips with. Who is this Jesus? Who is the Son of God? See, Christianity in its purest form is nothing more than seeing Jesus. That is the essence of the Christian faith. It's learning to see him. And so Peter, the bold one, the one who usually responds, Peter responds, and this time he gets it right. He says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, the, the son of the living God. And I think even as Peter spoke this, I think revelation was coming to him. And it's like, you really are the one from heaven. 
You really are the Son of God. You are the one that's been promised in the Old Testament that every Jew longed for the day when the Messiah would come. And it's like Peter said, you're the Christ. You're the Messiah, the anointed one. You're the one chosen of God. And it's like revelation came to him. And Peter gets it right. In verse 17, Jesus commends him. And he says, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father who is in heaven. Now see, Peter did not figure out that Jesus was the Messiah because he put two and two together, or because he studied his books well. But the reason that Peter understood who Jesus was was that the Father had reached into his heart and had given him a spiritual revelation. Do you know that we cannot know God simply by intellectual comprehension? It's not enough for us just to intellectually understand the Scripture. We must have a revelation just like Peter did. And it's like a light goes on and he says, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, you are blessed Simon, son of Jonah, you are immensely blessed. And then he takes this in in, in the next verse, verse 18, and he says a very significant thing. He says, I tell you that you are Peter. Now, this is where Peter gets a name change. And any time in the scripture, you have a name change that's, that's incredibly significant because names stand for character. And when God gives you a new name, that means... He is giving you a new character. He's making you a new person. And he says, no longer are you going to be called Simon, son of Jonah, but you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it, or the gates of Hades will not overcome it. In the Old Testament, there's a real interesting story of a man named Jacob. You know what Jacob's name means? Jacob's name means dirty, sneaky thief rascal, deceiver. Man, he had a bad name, and you would not want to keep your pocketbook out when he was around because he had a reputation of being a thief. And he uh, outconnived his his father-in-law to marry his daughter, and then his uncle, he, Uncle Laban, he was a conniver, must have run in the family. So they kind of outconnived each other, and it's, it's, it's a great story in the book of Genesis how they tried to you know get the bandage, rip each other off. So finally, he realized that uh, it was time for him to leave, or his uncle was really going to you would do him in. So he left with all of his, his goods and, and all, the, all of the cattle and goats that he had bred. And on, on his way back to his brother Esau that he had left 21 years before, he knew that it was trouble because he had deceived his brother out of the birthright. See, he had, he, his mother had plotted and they had, uh, he, he, in, in a, you know, he went in saying that he was his brother Esau by putting on skins and smelling like his brother. And old dad was kind of blind, so he really couldn't tell. But it was really Jacob, and then his father blessed him, and so he stole his brother's birthright, true to his nature. So on his way back to meet Esau, and he knows this is is D-Day, this is the day when when retribution is going to come back. And so he cries out to God, and remember, he wrestles with an angel all night. And he holds on to that angel till daybreak, and he says, I won't let you go till you bless me. And the angel blessed him, but the angel also did something. He hit him on the hip so that he limped for the rest of his life, speaking of our dependence on God. And it was kind of the breaking of his self-confidence, of his, uh, his deceiving ability. It was a breaking of that so that he could depend more fully on God. And you know what God did? God gave him a new name. Dirty, sneaky thief became Israel. And Israel means prince with God. 
And so God renamed him. God gave him a new character. Now, that's the same thing. Peter's Simon is, is being changed to Peter. Now, if you'll put up the second transparency, Misha, I've drawn a little picture here to, to kind of illustrate what the scripture is saying. Can you move that up higher a little, a little more? There you go. There you go. Now, there's two words here. Peter is, is the Greek word petros, and it means little stone. So he's saying, uh, Simon, your name is little stone. You're going to be a little stone in the wall of my kingdom. And he says, upon this rock, and that word is the word Petra. How many of you know the group Petra? That's the Greek word for bedrock. Peter is just a little stone, but Petra is a huge bedrock. And Jesus says, I am going to build my church upon the bedrock. And what is the bedrock? Yes, the, the bedrock is Jesus, but it's, it's the revealed Christ. See, it's not the Jesus that maybe we learned about in Sunday school. It's not the Jesus that lived 2,000 years ago. And it's, and it's not even the UCF Jesus or the Catholic Jesus or the Assemblies of God Jesus or the Baptist Jesus or the Methodist Jesus. But it's the Jesus that is revealed from heaven by the Holy Spirit. That's what the church is built on. See, it takes the revelation of Christ in our lives for us to really become a part of the church and become a part of the structure, the living structure that God is building. I talked to a, a man who had been a pastor. In fact, he was in his 50s. He knew the word of God very well. He was a man that was proficient with the word of God. But he had an encounter with the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit began to teach him things from the scripture and he said that during this time, when he was about 55 years old, God started showing him things from the scripture that had never been, that had never made sense before. He said, God put them there a long time ago, but scales on my spiritual eyes prevented me from seeing them. And he said, how could I have missed it all this time? After studying, you know, the word for many, many years and, and diligently giving himself to study of the word of God, what happened is revelation came and he saw a whole, a whole new view. Now, who builds the church? Jesus does. Whose church is it? It's his church. It's, it doesn't belong to any group. It doesn't belong to a denomination. It's his church. And what is the church? The church is the living organism of the people of God. That's what the church is. The church is not a building. If you were to ask someone in the first century, where's the church? They would have said, oh, it's, it's down there at Jake's house. <laughs> that, that group of people that meets in Jake's home, that is the church. It was never identified with a physical building. It was identified by people that had dedicated themselves to walking with Jesus. Now, Nisha, if you put up the next overhead, this is what Jesus is wanting to do. Now, there we have some living stones. Can we, can we put that up a little higher? Thank you. There's some living stones there. There's Matthew. There's Alyssa. There's Andrew. He's a little rough. We need to work on him a little bit. <laughs> Jeff's there. Heather's there. Peter's there. And there's you, a living stone. Now that's what God is building. God is building by placing the stones together. That means God is placing us together in relationship so that we can love one another and demonstrate to the world the reality of Christ. And all of that, the bedrock of all of that, is the revelation of Christ in our lives. The more revelation we have of Jesus, then the more we begin to function 
in this living temple that is called the church. You ever had an aha experience? An aha experience is when God shows you something and you go, aha. It's like the light comes on and something connects together in your mind and you go, oh yeah, I never saw that before. That's what I'm talking about. And see, that has to happen to us at some point. We have to have an aha experience with Jesus where we go, aha, he really is the son of God. I've I've mentioned to you my testimony. When, When I went to... Um, a Barry Maguire concert in 1973. I had an aha experience because Jesus made himself real to me. I knew about Jesus. I knew some of the Bible stories, and I thought Jesus was a good guy. I, I didn't doubt that he died and rose again from the dead. I mean, I didn't. I wouldn't dispute those facts with you. I didn't understand what it meant with my life personally. I didn't understand, like Carrie, that we were supposed to confess our sins. I had no idea. That I what I needed to do in terms of my personal relationship with Jesus. But if you would have asked me, Dick, do you believe that Jesus died and rose again? I would have said, yeah, because I, I believed he lived 2,000 years ago. I didn't think he was living today. You know, I didn't know have any idea what it meant for me today. But at that concert, I had an aha experience. And Jesus revealed himself to me. And he spoke these words to me. He says, you follow me. Yes, sir. It wasn't just a, a, a teaching that I'd heard. It wasn't just a a church tradition that I had grown up in. But suddenly I am face to face with a living person that was giving me orders and telling me what to do. And I said, yes, sir. And that was the beginning of my walk with Christ. And that's what the church is built on. See, we are placed and and fitted together as we apprehend the revelation of Christ. And then Jesus goes on in verse 19, back in Matthew 16. He says, He says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And he gives Peter the keys. Now, i got a set of keys here. And this set of keys will will get you into all kinds of places. One will get you into my house. This will get you into my car. This is my wife's van. That will get you in the Christian Center Church. That will get you in a couple of locks that lock my ladders up. I'm not sure what that gets you into. And uh, some other things I don't know. But see, these are keys. It gives you access, doesn't it? And Jesus says, I'm giving you the keys of the kingdom. And, and you, he's initially speaking to Peter, but then he speaks to the church of, of all generations. And he says, I am giving the church the keys. And as we learn to operate, and this is particularly where prayer comes in, because we learn to op- to use the keys through prayer. We've um, we've moved our morning prayer meetings in Wilson Hall downstairs to room 115, Wilson, because we've had so many people coming to pray. It's exciting. We've had 20, 22, 23 people sometimes coming at 7.30 in the mornings on Wednesday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursdays to pray. I, I would encourage you to, to uh, come. God is doing something. And that's where you exercise the keys. That's where you unlock things as we gather together in corporate prayer. And Jesus says, Peter, I'm giving you the keys, and whatever you bind, see, it'll be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose will be loosed in heaven first. So Paul, or uh, excuse me, Jesus is saying to us, the church is built on revelation. If there's one thing, you guys, that you should covet and, and, and or earnestly desire in your life, it's to have revelation of who Christ is. Now, in Galatians, let me just read a couple of verses there. This is Paul the Apostle's testimony. 
It's very interesting to me that the writer that writes the most of the New Testament wasn't even one of the 12 disciples. You would have thought that, you know, Peter, James, or John, one of the heavyweights, would have written the bulk of the New Testament. And you know, God didn't do things that way. Aren't you glad God's God? He doesn't do things the way the way we do it. He chooses this, this um, legalistic Jewish rabbi that is intent on destroying the church, that uh, is, is intent on defending the traditions of his fathers, and God gets a hold of him on the Damascus Road. He has an aha experience. He falls off his donkey and goes, oh, you know. He, I mean, he's blind, and he says, Lord, what do you want with me? You know, and instantaneously, the man is changed and transformed. And in Galatians chapter 1, this is Paul's personal testimony. Because Paul did not get his authority to preach the gospel at the University of Jerusalem. He did not get it because he went through all of the hoops of becoming a noted Jewish rabbi. And uh, the Sanhedrin was a very elite group of religious people that went through all of the, the, all of the hoops that would be uh, the same as us getting a PhD in our culture. Lots of stuff, lots of time, lots of sacrifice in order to get into this elite group. Well, even though Paul did that and was a member of the Sanhedrin, his authority to preach the gospel didn't come from that. And he says in verse 11 of Galatians chapter 1, he says, I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel I preached is not something that man made up. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. See, there's that word again, by revelation. How did Peter get it? By revelation. How did Paul get it? By revelation. How do you get it? By revelation. He says, for you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of the Jews of my own age and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from birth and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I may preach him among the Gentiles, I did not consult with any man, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I, I went immediately into Arabia, and later I returned to Damascus. So Paul the Apostle's initial experience was a three-year stint in the desert where he was taught by Jesus himself. And that's where Paul got all of the stuff to write the New Testament. And the Lord poured all of that revelation into him, and now and Paul is really the giant in terms of, of revelation of what the purposes of God are in the earth. And just as Paul was given revelation, now that's what Paul wants you to have. And now I want to want to conclude by looking at Ephesians. Now I realize there's some of you have probably heard me talk about this, but it's such an important discipline for us as disciples that I'm um, I don't feel bad about speaking it again. There's many of you that haven't heard this, but this is a prayer that will change your life. This is a prayer that the Paul, Paul the Apostle prayed. He prayed it for the people in Ephesus. He prayed it for everybody. And, it, and because it's a prayer given by the Holy Spirit, it's a, prayer, it's a prayer that you can pray. And I want to encourage you to memorize this prayer, to commit it to memory, and to begin to pray it often for yourself, for your friends, for your family, and for the campus, and for the world. It's a Holy Ghost prayer, and God will answer it. What does it say? And this is Ephesians chapter 1, and I'm going to begin with verse 15. It says, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus 
and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Now here's what he prays. Three things. Verse 17. I keep asking, that means he just doesn't do it once, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. That you will know him, Paul's praying, that you'll know him as I know him. And I can see Paul, he's just wanting to, he just wishes he could come by and slice your head off, take the top of your head off, pour in the revelation, put your head back on, and see, then you'd be like him. And he's realizing, well, he can't do that. The Holy Spirit has to do that. So he's praying, oh, Lord, that these brothers and sisters in Ephesus would have the spirit of wisdom and of revelation so that everyone, all of us, can know you better. I read a, a book some years ago. It's a book called Angels on Assignment. And it was written by a man in Idaho that had a, a number of very interesting and angelic visitations. And in this book, he talks about an experience he had. He was preparing for his Sunday morning sermon about 10.30 at night. He was at the church in Boise. He was praying, preparing. And about 10.30 at night, suddenly he was not in his office anymore. And he found himself in the throne room of God. Like, man, that's a shock, isn't it? <laughs> and and uh, so in this book, he talks about this incredible experience. And one of the things that God spoke to him when, when he went to heaven, it, he says this. I'm, let me just quote him. He says, God came right to the point and said, I want to give you, and this is his expression, an overlay of truth. In a split second of eternity, we went from Genesis to Revelation, looking first at God's plan for his people, Throughout all the Bible, God discussed his character, stating, I will do nothing in conflict with my nature or my character. My plan for you is good, and it will be accomplished. He referred me to Jeremiah 29, 11, and that says, For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. And as I was preparing tonight, and as I was praying, I felt there were several here tonight that are struggling with your future, that are kind of wondering, man, what's really out there for me? And I, and I felt this verse was, was specifically for several of you that have been asking those kinds of questions. And God wants you to know, he says, I have plans for you. I have a hope and a future, and I have plans to prosper you, not to harm you. I have plans to give you a hope and a future. And so if you're struggling with that tonight, I want you to receive that as a word of encouragement from the Lord. In giving me these thoughts, God wanted me to see how really he felt about people, that he had man in mind before he made the earth, and he made the earth so that people would have a place in which to live. When he looks at people, he does not look at the evil which has taken place, but he looks at the very heart of man. And he goes on to describe how just in, in a seemingly a moment of time, the Lord gave him this overlay of truth and and after he came, came back, after this, this visitation with God, he said, it's like I had new eyes to see the scripture. It's like I understood the way truths would tie together. And he, he was just amazed at what, what God did. Now that was, I believe that's the spirit of wisdom and of revelation. And because God's not a respecter of persons, he will do that for you if you'll ask him, if you will pursue the Lord with all of your heart. Do you know that God is always greater than our current revelation of him. He's always bigger. And, and see, as we grow year by year, we ought to grow 
in our understanding of God. Our worship ought to be more fervent. Our appreciation for him should be greater because he's getting bigger all the time. At least our understanding of him is getting bigger. And I believe that that increasing revelation is going to grow all throughout eternity. See, heaven is not just a static place where we finally made it and now we're all here. But I think the revelation of God is going to grow and grow so that as eternity unfolds, our minds are going to be blown again and again as we see the greatness of God. And, you know, God has surprises planned for us in eternity. It's like you're going to have been there about 25 billion years and you're going to think, well, you know, I just know everything now. We just we, we really understand you, God. And God's going to say, go over there. And you're going to go over there. <laughs> something new is going to open up. You're going to, thought, you're going to say, wow, God, this, I never thought you could even do something like this. And then you spend the next 10 million years exploring that area of God's universe and some facet of his being. And then you come back and you just, man, you think, wow, I really understand it now. And, and God's going to say, hey, listen, go through that door, Dick. And you go through that door and there's a whole nother surprise about God. And that's what eternity is. It's an endless revelation of who God is. But you can begin to know him now. And that's why Paul says, I pray that the spirit of wisdom and of revelation will come upon you. And then he says in verse 18, the second thing that he wants you to have. He says, and I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And see, the Lord wants to open your heart, the eyes of your heart, to your destiny, the place that you fulfill. Remember the, the wall with all the different people in it? See, you have a unique place in the church to fulfill. You have a, a unique, you're a unique stone, just like Peter was Petros. He's a unique stone. So too are you a unique stone. And Paul's praying for revelation and understanding that you'd understand your particular place. When I was in Russia this summer, and I was, was over there teaching, one of my former students named Daryl Gunnarsson is an engineer with Procter & Gamble, and he arranged for me to come and to do a pastor's conference. And I, I worked with about two, about 100 pastors and leaders of churches. And it, it was a wonderful, wonderful experience. And one of the men that, that was, uh, he's an elder in his church, and he, and he said this, he said, that the things that you spoke about, Dick, um, I was aware of those scriptures. In fact, many of us had memorized the scriptures that I had spoken on. But he said something happened, and it's that there was revelation that took place. And so a scripture that was familiar to them, the Lord just poured out something of his spirit upon them, and, and they understood the love of the Father in a far greater way. And he, he, he says this, he says, um, he says, I think we all had revelations here. This anointing Dick brought to us is a personal revelation. What is God doing? We have to see his love, not theoretically, but practically. We take his forgiveness and his love because there are such problems and walls among Christians. They try to follow Jesus according to their own mind. Jesus would do it in such and such a way here, but maybe Jesus would not have done such things at all. So we have to sense with our hearts what God wants us to do. Dick brought an anointing of God's love. We fellowshiped, we accepted God's love, and now we are responsible to bring it to our communities and to our friends. God's love is real. Now here's a man that knows God, that's walked with Jesus and is serving as an elder in his church, and yet he experienced a fresh revelation of the Father's love. That's what Paul's praying for you. The third thing he prays in verse 19, he says, I see, he says, I pray that his incomparably great power 
for us who believe, that you'll see the incredible power that God has towards you. See, all the power of heaven stands behind you as you're committed to doing what Jesus is telling you to do. Pam, will you come? And Matthew, will you come? I'll have Matthew give a testimony here because Matthew has had a revelation of Jesus this uh, this semester since he came to school here. And, and I want his story to illustrate what I'm talking about here. Great. Sure, you can take that one. I'll take this one. This is kind of like Oprah. Not really, though. Only, only a lot different. That's <laughs> a lot different. Matthew, how did you um, start coming to UCF? How did you find out about us? What was your first first experience with, with us? Just Oh, okay. Go ahead. All right. Is that okay? Um, well, I, the first time I ever heard of UCF or saw it or came to it was at the Pig Fest. I, I missed the pig by about an hour, and so I just kind of stood around and listened to the band that was playing there, and eventually Chuck and Greg, and I think it was also Dan, came up to me and just started talking to me, and I mean, that's the first experience I had, and it was one of the greatest experiences I had, because at that point I hadn't made many friends here at school. First time people would really come out and just kind is of. Is this your first year at MSU? Yes, it is. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, that yeah. That's kind of the first thing was at the pig roast. Why have you? Why did you stay? What made you start coming to UCF and stuff like um, that? Well, basically, uh, I I've been to several of the other several of the churches in town, and I've been sitting there kind of like a. A lost person, and it was up to me to go up and introduce myself and say hi, and I'm me, and who are you? And, <laughs> and here, people just kind of came up to me and said that, and I was, I mean, I felt accepted. I didn't feel like I was a person who was supposed to just be go away, that I was new and I wasn't really wanted. I mean, I really felt part of the group from the very beginning. And that's something I've never felt before. How has Jesus become more of a, or more than a word, I guess, to you? Um, well, before I came to school here, I was a, uh, I guess what you would call like the Sunday Christian. Where I would go to church on Sunday and my brothers and sisters and I would uh, all be fighting in the car on the way there. And, as soon as we got on the church grounds, we stopped and we're perfect angels. <laughs> and then I wouldn't have another thought about it until the next Sunday when I got back in the car and got back to the church. And I, beginning this month, I accepted Christ for the first time in my life. And since then, I felt a renewed happiness and a happiness that I've never felt before. And um, since then, I've just. Uh... It's been aha ever since. Huh? Yeah, basically. Aha. Yeah. <laughs> when you when you received Christ, was that was it? Kind of did it just come to a point where it was a revelation to you that that you just came to a point where you understood completely that that was the next step for you was just to make that more of a confirmed commitment that you wanted Jesus yeah. and very much. I 
I knew when I was doing it that this is what I really wanted to do. Mm. There's no doubt. God was revealing himself to you. Yeah, and I'm glad that, so that he did it and that I did it. God bless you, Matthew. Can we pray for you? Yeah. Too? Jesus, thank you for Matthew. Father, I, I just thank you, Lord, that, um, God, you keep your eye on the one lost sheep, Father, and you'll leave your whole flock to go after that one, and that you hunted him down, and you brought him into fellowship with the body of Christ, and that you've um, brought him into relationship with Jesus, and I pray, Lord, that you would continue the revelation that you've been giving him about who you are, and just increase that, Lord. I pray that you would <clears throat> give him the spirit of wisdom and revelation, Lord, that he would know you better, and um, just help him to continue to learn all, all kinds of new things about you, Lord, and, and just build him more into uh, the image of Jesus. And we just thank you for him, and we're just glad that he's here, Lord, and thank you for, thank you for bringing him into your family. Amen. That's the spirit of wisdom and of revelation when the Lord is made real in our hearts. Underneath your seat, I've printed up this prayer on a piece of paper. Would you take that? And if, if there's not one under your seat, um, there's a few extras in the back that uh, maybe someone could pass out if you don't have one. Thank you, Pam. Great. I want us to pray this prayer together. Can we do that? I want us to pray this prayer together out loud. Okay. Where does it start on there? Okay, all right. Let's start. I keep asking, is that right? Okay, you guys pray it, okay? I don't have the same translation. All right, ready? Go. Now this, I want you to take this, and I want you to tape this up on your bathroom mirror or on your dresser or somewhere where you see every day, and it will remind you to pray this prayer. And I can guarantee you that God will answer this prayer, and Jesus will become more and more real to you. I, you know, when you think about the, the early Christians, the early disciples, they left everything. I mean, they, they left their career, they left their reputations, all of them, but John died an early death as a martyr. What got into their hearts to do that? And it was they saw Jesus, and they saw that he was worth full obedience. He was worth giving their lives for. Even dying early, he was worthy of that. And, I, and, I, and sometimes I've observed that as Christians grow older and get more mature, their fire kind of fades off. They... They don't have the zeal and commitment to the Lord like sometimes new believers have. And I think there's something wrong with that. I think it ought to be the more we know Jesus, the more excited we get about him. Don't you agree? See, and, that, and that's why you need to pray for the spirit of wisdom and of revelation. Jesus wants to give that to you. And if you will but ask him and pray that for yourself, for your friends, for your family, God will answer that. 
Christianity in its purest form is nothing more than seeing Jesus. Christian service in its purest form is nothing more than imitating him who we see. To see his majesty and to imitate him, that is the, is the sum of Christianity. And that's why I want you to pray this prayer. I've prayed this prayer for years, and God is still answering it. And, and God isn't done yet, but my revelation is getting bigger and bigger every year. One warning, something happens to a person who has witnessed his majesty. He becomes addicted. One glimpse of the king, and you are consumed by a desire to see more of him and say more about him. Pew warming is no longer an option. Junk religion will no longer suffice. Sensation seeking is needless. Once you have seen his face, you will forever long to see it again. And that's what I want you to see. I want you to see his face. Thank you for listening to the Dick Schroeder Podcast. For more teaching and discipleship resources from Dick, visit fatherheartministries.net.